Want to become a better, braver, and happier painter? So do we. Welcome to Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan, a podcast about the art and hobby of miniature painting. I'm Mike, a former gamer who wants to be a better painter. I'm Dan. I'm a gamer who wants to step up my painting skills. Thank you for joining us as we start another chapter in our painting journey. Before we get into the main sections of the podcast, let me just say this is going to be an evolutionary process. While we may have a format now, it will most likely change on an as-needed basis. We're also new to this whole podcasting thing, so please be patient. Our skills with the sound and equipment will only get better as time goes on. So if we get a little bit annoying with some of the noises, please forgive us. So why a podcast, Mike? Uh, it's just another medium to discuss something that we love, which is painting miniatures. Hopefully, we'll be able to provide some insight maybe even some inspiration for people. We want to keep this podcast for about an hour so you can listen to us while you're doing your hour of painting. We have a great show planned for you. Today we'll be covering the motto of our podcast, which is Better, Braver, Happier. We'll talk about some stuff that's upcoming in the miniature art world and what we're currently working on, as well as we'll have a conversation with award-winning artist, teacher, and all-around awesome person, Shoshi Bauer of Shoshi's Magnificent Miniatures. So Dan, the motto of our show is Better, Braver, Happier. So what recently have you done to become a better painter? What are some of the things that you've been working on that, that have kind of enhanced your skill as a painter? Well, being a better painter. So some of the things I've done lately is try different kinds of paint. There's different formulas that we can use in different companies. And we all know about the hundreds of different ones that are out there. So sometimes using different paints, there's different techniques that you can use. So I've been trying to do that. And it's it's about trying to to push a little bit and see if I can get to where I'm happy. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at right now. That's uh, that's something that I've done to just to be a better painter. How about you, Mike? Well, the, I, I like your point there about the you know trying out a new new paints. I think what's important is really the artist makes the tool, but tools can really help a lot. And I, I love playing with, playing with new paints. Uh, I probably have way too many paints. My wife definitely tells me we, we've got too many paints in the house. But when I get new paints, one of the things I love to do is I put them out on the palette. And even the last time I did this, when I got the fluorescent set from Scale 75, my 10-year-old actually kind of did it with me, and we had a lot of fun doing it. But I put them out on a palette, run my fingers through them, run the brush through them, see what they feel like and everything, just to kind of get the knowledge of what those paints are. Because, you know, it was really interesting, especially with that set. One a couple of the paints were kind of gritty feeling and then most of the paints had a nice smooth texture and such, but that's the way they paint. And so feeling those things out, you know, I, I highly encourage things like finger painting, lots of, lots of fun, but I think you're right on the money that learning how to use tools and finding tools that work well with you are, are excellent ways to become better painters. Do you, are, are, are you a fan of watching YouTube videos, Dan? I mean, is that one of the ways that you learn? Well, yeah, that, that's exactly where I was about to go. There's also looking at YouTube. That's a great place to figure out where you want to go to get inspiration and actually learn some techniques. That's uh, how we improve by trying new things out, which we'll probably talk about in a little bit better or a little bit later. You know, I always get frustrated. Uh, not always. That's the wrong word. A lot of times I get frustrated with YouTube videos because I try to watch them and I'm painting, I'll try to paint along with them. And they're like, do this step, do this step. Then it seems like they skip six steps and they're like, voila, you have learned non-metallic metal. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> How did that happen? Why'd you do that? I quit painting. Um, well, I think that's important to, to know when we're practicing and trying to become better, that when we're looking at YouTube videos, we just we want to get an idea of what is going on. What are we trying to accomplish? A lot of it has to go back to practicing. We have to be able to practice what we're seeing and spending a majority of that time learning those techniques, learning that m- muscle memory so that we can get those strokes down or to get the sanding down or to, to, to get what we're trying to accomplish. So I think it's more than just watching the videos. We really have to put that into practice because without it, well, we can't just think and will ourselves be better painters. That's very that's very true. Practice is so is so important, and getting in, you know, like you, you've got to paint in order to be a painter. Yet you've got to paint and in order to get better at painting. You have to paint more. Find as much time as you can to set aside to paint. 
that, that's a that's a huge thing. It's just to become a better painter, you have to paint. Yay, that's logical, right? So let me let me ask you this question: What have you recently done to be a braver painter? Oh, well, I haven't done a whole lot lately on the painting side. So let's talk about uh, hobby. Um, I I am kind of a purist. I really like the way figures are are created, no matter which manufacturer that we have. And lately, I, I, I had a, a thought in my mind to create something of my own. So I decided to go ahead and, and be brave and chop up one of my brand new Dark Apostle figures to see what I can make out of it. And that has allowed me to take chances and, and know I've already ruined this piece. Let me go ahead and where can I stretch these boundaries? So instead of just carving off a, a face or taking an arm off, I'm actually cutting it into little bits so that I can put uh, green stuff on it and, and change the way it looks and add other bits to it to make it something that's a different chapter. So that so the painting part I haven't uh, done in a while because usually to become braver on the painting side, uh, I would take classes or try to practice a technique that I've learned on YouTube. But I wanted to try something a little bit more handsy and more dangerous and go ahead and chop up one of my new figures. How about you? you I'm such brave? a scaredy cat. I'm such a scaredy cat with that stuff, man. I, it's like, I spent $30 on this model. I am not chopping it up because I will screw it up if I try to move the hand around or anything along those lines. I do have a project with the, with the Golden Demon returning to the U.S. I do have a project that I want to work on for that. I, I have a postcard that I got from Games Workshop at some point that kind of inspired me. It's just kind of one of those things that I want to get through my capital palette entries first before I, I start working on that, because I know that's going to take up all my time. But I think for me and the better painter side, uh, braver painter side of it, I am finishing up my first entry for the capital palette, which is a Minotaur by Zealot Miniatures that I got from a Kickstarter campaign, of course. It is the first time I've ever tried to do painting on fur, and I'm just kind of letting it happen. It's been a learning process about colors and placement and direction, hair directions and things along those lines. But I got to tell you, I, I think right now it's probably one of the best things I've ever painted. And I'm having a ton of fun doing it. Um, uh, I, I even I even sculpted a, a lot of the base by hand as far as like the base that it's going to be on. So that's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on with that that I've never tried before. But I'm having a, a crap ton of fun doing Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I can't wait to see what it looks like. You guys send me some pictures at some point. Absolutely. I'm going to post them on our website, which will be listening to paintry.com for listeners out there. So we've kind of covered better and braver. What, tell me, Dan, what makes you happy about painting? What, what, is your, what is your happy point? What does it do for you? Well, for, for myself, I, I really just enjoy the act of painting. That's what makes me happy. Yeah, if I can put, go into a competition or something sometime and show some things off, it's not too bad. But the act of painting and hobbying itself uh, helps me relax and to focus on other things other than work. It's a, it's a great way to escape from our day-to-day -day life. It gives me something to concentrate on, something to focus on, and get out of that environment and get into my creativity and and doing something makes me happy. And that's that's basically what it is. And I know other people out there will have many different ways of um, being happy. I, I totally get what you're saying. That ju just in itself, the act of painting is kind of a place of joy for me, myself. I, I think that I've used painting over the years, especially because I really got back into painting about three years ago. And I think that it's become something that takes me away from the rest of the world and I don't care about anything else and I just focus on creating some art. I, I did not know that I needed this outlet. I don't know if that makes any sense, but once I started back into painting, I, I'm like, where have you been for the last 20 plus years? I've missed you so much. <laughs> and so it's something I really just absolutely enjoy doing. And I, what's really hard though sometimes and I think we definitely want you to touch on this, too, is that we look and see on the Internet, on different Facebook groups, on Instagram, all these incredible works of art that people are throwing out there. They're beautiful for inspiration, but they can also be very, very intimidating, right? Like I look out there and I see stuff posted by artists like Roman Laplatte and 
Banshee and Sergio Calvo, all these amazing artists, even Shoshi, who we're going to talk to, wonderful, amazing artists. And I look at their paintings and I'm like, God, I will never get at that level. I will never be there. But what I, what's kind of happened for me over the last year is the realization of that I, I don't want to be those painters. I want to be Mike Dutcher. I want to be, I want to find my own voice, find my own way to tell a story. Because that's really, honestly, even more so than the painting side, the narrative side of miniature painting is really what kind of gets my creative juices going. And then when I see a miniature, it tells me a story. And how do I execute that story, whether it be from the color choices to the base to the any little details that are going that are going into it. Do I want to do something like hand painted for or do I want to just stick to the textures of the model itself, you know? So I just want to find me. And that pursuit is really what's made the joy of painting happening for me to steal, you know, the Bob Ross line, you know. I don't know. I'm just I just have a a crap ton of fun painting and it's just, you know, <laughs> It's kind well, of hard. Sometimes it, I was saying sometimes it just gives us a feeling of accomplishment. Maybe that's another thing. You know, if we accomplish something, we feel like we're being productive and it makes us happy or just the process itself. Like for myself, I just like to sit there. Even if I don't finish a figure, which most of us don't, um, or at least armies, I feel all right by having wait, the same guy. Wait, 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 wait. People actually finished miniatures? People actually, them? they actually finished painting them? I think them? so. <laughs> it might take a couple of years to do it, but I think I think someone out there might be able to finish their figures. What did Roman say in our <laughs> class? Only There are no finished projects, only abandoned projects, right? Yes. That, some... <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there's a huge movement out there right now that I'm so, I've seen it on a couple of different Facebook groups that, I, that I've joined, talked about finished, not perfect. And that really makes a lot of sense to me that, no matter what you do, you're gonna find something else that you could have done on a miniature. At some point, though, you gotta you gotta just say I need to move on, or because I find that when I get into the doldrums or when I hit painter's block is when I've been working on the same project for way too long, and I feel like I'm not getting any better. I feel like I'm not making the I'm I'm every time I put the brush on the miniature, I'm making it worse, not making it better. And I so, say uh, that would probably be a pretty good. Uh extra show that we do at some point yeah that, absolutely that could be a topic we can hit on a little uh, down the road about that whole thing yeah. when is when is a miniature done <laughs> yeah and then what and probably our journey but we probably should have a show about a painter's journey because i think that we could be at any part any place and what you said earlier it's not about trying to replicate what another artist is doing or a painter's doing but knowing where we're at and it's our our figure, our paint job, our creativity, and it's not someone else's. And I shouldn't be chasing after Richard Gray's paint jobs or anybody else's because I don't think I'll ever get there. And if I'm trying to pursue that, I'm I'm no longer happy. It's no longer that part of getting away like I wanted to before and enjoying the hobby. But now it's becoming another task and it's becoming another job. And, you know, it's there's so many artists. I hope anybody listening to this doesn't uh, understands this, too, is that there are we could go on for days. There are so many artists out there that are just absolutely amazing that use their work for inspiration. Like there have been a couple of times I've looked at like a leg on something that, uh, let's say, Trevarian has done. And I'm like, OK, I want to try to replicate that as practice, not as total imitation you know what i'm saying like i'm trying to do something trying to replicate practice you can do the same thing with the like when you do reference pictures right when you like i want to paint uh a woman's flesh tone that looks like this on this bus that i'm working on that's the same kind of concept you're still you're taking a picture for inspiration to try to move yourself forward you're not going to replicate it 100 percent, but it's uh, like you said earlier it's learning that muscle memory it's learning like trying to put colors in the right places and such. So, Mike, in our hobby, there's always something new on the horizon. Anything particular catch your attention? Games Workshop, Citadel line of paints released, the Contrast line, which is supposed to be one thick coat that eliminates the mountain of gray plastic that people have, and so they can get their models on the table and game. Well, I'm, I'm pretty much a purist. I'm slow adapting all these new things. So, as of this recording, I still haven't purchased any. 
But uh, since you have a couple, what do you think of them so far? Well, I have about 10 of them, plus the two new base paints, Wraithbone and Gracier. I haven't actually tried out the Gracier yet. But my initial impressions are, they're actually pretty good. I don't think they are the most revolutionary paints out there, but they are pretty strong. They are thicker, kind of like a thicker ink with super high pigment level. There are a few colors, though, that I've used so far. I think I have actually about 13 of them that are kind of superstars. The first one that I tried was Skeleton Horde, and that was actually, I got to tell you, I, I whipped out the five skeletons for Shade Spire in about 30 minutes. I was like, holy cow, this worked really. And that's just doing the bone stuff on them. And then I used a couple other colors on them as well. That one is amazing. Um, I love the way it, it actually pulls away, gives a good shadow. The Blood Angels Red is good. The Talzar Blue is such a radiant blue color. It actually feels a little more fluorescent than a lot of the fluorescent blues that are out there on the uh, on the market. So it might be something that might do some heavy work towards some serious OSL, especially if you're looking for blue. But I will say two more things about it. The first is that you kind of have to change the way you think about painting and kind of shed that notion of base coat, wash, highlight. These paints work very differently. And if you don't use enough of it, it'll be splotchy. And that's one of the things I noticed, like doing things like cloaks and robes and the bones, the, the paint just goes right into those crevices and builds a nice shadow. It gives, it pulls away from the flat surfaces. What I've noticed, though, is a bit of a struggle when you do something that is more with the flat surfaces, like on a space marine, things like uh, all of the, the, the details look wonderful, but sometimes the big open areas like the shoulder pads and the legs and such, kind of get a little bit splotchy. And this is also something, that it, 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 this shouldn't sound too strange either, because if you've ever painted with a brush over a white prime, you notice that you've got some work ahead of you, especially if you use a translucent color like red or yellow. I know people like to do those to get the vibrant, you know, do it over the white primer to get kind of a nice vibrant color. But it takes a lot of work to get a nice smooth coat with those colors. The same thing is true with these contrast paints so you have to use enough of it you can't you kind of like i said you got to change that mentality of the two thin coats or the you know usually a base coat for me is three to four thin coats uh if i'm lucky depending on what paint brand i'm using but the other thing i'll say about them is that you do have to practice with them because they will do some weird things if you paint yellow and blue next to each other and there's an overlap that overlap will be green because the paints are so translucent and so you have to be very neat with them or neat enough to that with them that you can clean up with the black line or an, another shadow or something along those lines. So they are, they are tricky. But overall, I do think they will help contribute to getting rid of gray plastic. For me, I'm looking at them and I'm going, these are some nice quick ways to get some base coats on some miniatures, get some quick shading in there. It almost is like a liquid sketch to a degree. I don't know, does that make sense? Like, it's kind of like, you know, a lot of people sketch in the shadows and the lights and stuff like that. I think with these, it's kind of the, it, it'll be it, it'll be very nice to just put some base coats down and see how you want to work up the miniature. The challenge, though, on those will be if you overshade and it pools, it's kind of hard to back the shadows out because the shadow color is so deep. You know what I mean? But that's my kind of take on them. I, I don't want to do a ton on those paints because everywhere on the internet, everybody's doing something about those paints. They're wonderful. I, my bet is that they will probably for the artistic side of us will be great base coats and wonderful glazes because you have a huge, like 30 plus new glaze colors to work with now, basically. So I think they're yeah, pretty I don't, good. Yeah. I don't mind the glazes at all <laughs> that I can work with. So what about you, Dan? Anything out there got your attention? Uh, well, you know, uh, Fresh old folks who've been waiting decades for these Sisters of Battle to come out, and GW is finally giving us this one shot that comes out in the next week or so, and uh, that's really the only thing I'm looking forward to right now. I have uh, a table full of broken Space Marines, <laughs> and uh, I'll glue them all back together, and it'd be it'd be nice to just try something different. Maybe uh, try some colors I normally don't do, like green and black, because I'm a Dark Angels player. Other than that. Nope, that's uh, that's what's on my immediate horizon. So that's uh, one, one of the things I wanted to say, too, with this is that um, while we may at times talk a bit about more about things like Games Workshop and such, 
one of the reasons why why Dana and I wanted to work together on this podcast is because we have two different kind of perspectives of it. I would say games workshop models make up about 15% of what I paint, whereas for you, they make up a, 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 a more a, a larger portion, right? True. So, <laughs> yes. so I really do. That was one of the first companies that and got me involved in hobby, um, this hobby. And um, I do enjoy their sculpts. There are some other companies I, I do also. And yeah, I know this kind of sounds like a GW love fest, and that's really not the case. It just that happens to be the biggest news right now in our industry. So we hear about it until other things come along. Other, another game comes up or different figures or something or a new bust or a new um, system. And then we'll probably talk about those like everybody else. But we won't have the visuals. We'll just be able to talk you through it while hopefully you're painting for a little bit. Exactly. And that's what, like, you know, like right now I'm thinking what's on my painting desk. And I have the Zealot Minotaur. Zealot Miniatures Minotaur. I have the Mossbeard Tree Man, which is a ginormous Bones 4 Kickstarter miniature. Both of those, well, the Minotaur is about 95% done. The Tree Man is about 80% done. I have a bust from Robot Rocket Miniatures, the Kohana bust that I'm working on, which is a, basically it's a, a cyber a female cyber samurai. I also have a 90 millimeter Nuts Planet finger, a figure, which is uh, Anna Bugeisha, which is, is a historical female Japanese samurai, and that's a 90 millimeter miniature. So I kind of have a diversity of what's on my table. I also have, uh, I'm kind of staring at, a Kabuki Miniatures Kickstarter, one that I had backed a while ago for the uh, Tesla and, oh, now I can't remember the name of it, Tesla and this uh, this robotic woman thing. And so then that's a 75 millimeter set. So I, I'm not only just paint GW stuff in that scale, but I, I paint all over the scales. And I, I kind of actually increases my love of painting because I do a lot more. I, you know, I started out with Space Marines, but I, I kind of... I don't know. I, they always, when I'm in a really bad block, I go back and paint a space marine. That usually can bust me out of my like painting block. But kind of where my interests go are more towards like the bigger figures or I, especially resin. I love working with resin. I, I absolutely detest working with metal. I do sometimes. I have a couple of metal figures that are, you know, I have a metal bust of a gladiator that is staring at me on my work desk too. So, but and I wish I remember where that was from. I think that might be an El Greco one. But so I'm kind of all over the place. And that's what we wanted to do with this is give you a kind of two different perspectives, the kind of the gamer perspective and the solely a painter perspective on the podcast. So if you look at my table, it's full of space marines right now. I have two armies that I have going on right now. I'm trying to do a Raptors and I'm trying to just fill in and uh, bulk up my Dark Angels. And every once in a while, I'll try a different color like red for my um, Blood Ravens. Or if I'm feeling really, really lucky, I'll just paint a Lamentor just to have fun with him. But yeah, most of my stuff's going to be Space Marines at this point. Someday I'll get to my Eldar and my Dark Eldar and my Chaos and <laughs> Tyranids. <laughs> As they're all in their boxes, all weeping in gray. <laughs> you have so many, so many different army projects. That's kind of crazy. Um, yes, okay, so have is. you backed any new Kickstarters lately? Do you have anything going on as uh, far as that see. stuff goes? Well, I've done um, I've done a few over the last uh, a bunch of years, but the ones that I'm waiting for right now are the Scale 75 Artist Tubes. I'm kind of curious about how they work. The boss around the house, uh, my significant other, uh, is an artist, and I'd like to see what she can do with this besides just paint with miniatures. So I'm kind of curious about how they work, and I was able to get some other... Uh, uh, paints involved with that uh, Kickstarter. What and, colors did you get? You know, off the top of my head, since it's so long ago, I think I got the black and white ones, just uh, or the oh, grayscale. The, the grayscale one, okay. Yeah, I just can't remember off the top of my head because that's I locked myself out of my Kickstarter account and I haven't looked at any of my emails. Uh, so I think that's I think that's one, and I got one of the other colors. And uh, some strange reason, I got a hold of the kickstarter for ghost brushes i can't remember which tier i got but it seemed i got two two sets of brushes so i'm curious how they work because because we go through brushes we like them and there's nothing wrong with using raphael's or da vinci's because i really do like da vinci brushes um but trying something else though you never know if it's gonna jump out and be the new, next new hit 
So I was like, yeah, why not throw some money this way and see what happens? Because it's about the cost of uh, one of my regular Raphael brushes. Uh, what about you? You got anything going on? Well, I, I backed this, the, the Scale 75 Artist Tubes as well, but I, I just did the flesh set. Actually, I have to tell you, probably the biggest thing that prohibited me from doing any more was the shipping costs were so crazy with this Kickstarter. I mean, when I, I wanted to add one of the books to it, and it was like 15 or $20 to add the book, and then it was like my shipping went from like $12 to like $28. And I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't need to book that bad. <laughs> I was like, I'm cheap. You know what I mean? I can't, I can't just drop that. I, then. I I always books are kind of hit and miss as far as that type of stuff goes, whether or not they're really of any value or not. Um, a lot of times you have the in type of books you have that whole the joke about the drawing an owl. Step one, draw a circle. Step two, fill in the rest of the owl. Right. Um, and so, I, you know that happens. That that has a tendency to happen more in, in books and in in PDF tutorials than it does necessarily in a video. But I've also recently backed the Out of Arboros Miniatures Exquinus bust. And those are really interesting because those are supposed to be everyday women, not just not your like super busty ninja orc or gladiator women. They're just kind of, you know, it's it's kind of where my my painting journey is kind of leading me more towards those type of models than necessarily the scantily clad uh, barbarian women things, stuff like that. I'm kind of more interested in a more real realistic look. And then I also just back the Nocturna paints. I'm actually, I don't know. I don't remember when that ends, but as of recording this, it's still going on. But I honestly, I'm not as interested in the paint set as I am the free miniatures that come along with the stretch goals. At this point, like I'm an early bird backer for one paint set, but the way the stretch goals worked out is it's like you get a free figure to begin with. You pick a figure, like you get the Kickstarter figure, a free figure, another stretch goal figure, and then a bust. And so between four resin figures, that it's more than worth the money. I did just receive my Bones 4 pledge, and I've already started working on my, uh, that's the Reaper miniatures. Let's see what else. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm still waiting two years now later for the Lords of Hellas uh, game. <laughs> Looking at you, Awaken Realms. That's been yeah, it's like confrontation long. and uh, battle tech too. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of them that don't you know that are struggling to deliver, and I keep getting notices like they're like, "We have no update, but we're gonna start shipping soon." Six months later, no update, but we are gonna stop sh start shipping soon, and then they'll send a picture of a card. Like, hey, we've got this card done for the boards. Look how fast we're going. We're like, wait, it's been a year, and you have a card to show for it. Anyways, that's an exaggeration, but. You know, when you're sitting there waiting and you drop some money, it's kind of kind of gets frustrating after a while. But I've also one of the other things I would point out here, too, is between the two of us, we back quite a few and we, you know, we do we buy stuff still for for the hobby and such and new stuff that comes out. And so between main episodes, we're going to publish many episodes reviewing some of these products and none of these will tell you if they ever are. Uh, I doubt it that they ever will be. But. If they're, uh, these are all unsolicited reviews. For, like, and like, for example, between this episode and the next episode, we'll at least have my review of Gollum Miniatures, The White Slave, which is a 90 millimeter figure that I also got from a Kickstarter. And I will say this to begin with. I'll tell you why one of the glowing will be a glowing review of the Gollum Miniatures, because they said they were going to deliver in May. And guess what showed up May 3rd? The figure i was like oh, holy crap a kickstarter that actually delivered on time i think that the world that might be one of the signs of the apocalypse right although i've had some that have been very close to delivering on time and you know usually one like three to four months you're like okay that's a normal kickstarter delay but you know this one was like on the money on time and probably arguably a little early so but we'll do reviews of different products and stuff like that and so as some of these kickstarters come in we're gonna throw out little mini episodes and little uh, to do reviews and such like that. And they also may include if we have an interview with an artist that winds up being pretty short, we might throw that out, et cetera, because we do want to try to stick to the hour time period. So this is the part of the podcast where we'll share some of the stuff that we've learned while painting. It could be a recipe or a how to, or even just a random observation. But this week is actually kind of a specific tip that, that about protecting your tip, the paintbrush tip that is, I, you know, I typically use master's paint, brush cleaner and restorer every time I, I paint I kind of not I don't do like an intense cleaning but I do kind of clean up the brushes every time then before I put it away I'll run a damp brush through the soap 
So that way it kind of creates a sharp point, And then as it dries, it kind of hardens. It's almost like restarching the brush or uh, what is it? Resizing the brush. Like you, when you get it, there's always that kind of that hard feel. But one of the mistakes I made when I first started doing this and using Kolinsky Sable brushes was that as I was doing that final step to load the hard tip on it, I was twisting the brush. And so what I found out I was doing, uh, and then, well, then I was throwing away the brushes because whenever I got them wet, like cleaned them out and looked at it, the tip was ruined and they looked like alfalfa. And the problem was that I learned that because they're natural hairs, they actually are being trained, just like you train your hair like to get a part in it. These natural hairs will train the same way too. So when you're doing that last step and putting your brush away, do not twist it to get to the point. Use your fingers to create the point. Otherwise, your brush will look like alfalfa. And you just reshape it while it's damp, let it dry, and then put it away. Now, if you're going to use like the soap to get the hard part again, what you can do is pull the brush, turn it, to the flat side, pull the brush and keep kind of going that way and only do the kind of top half of the brush tip, not the not the whole brush, because you really don't want that soap to sit in the ferrule either when it gets dried, because then it can also do the same thing and splay your brush out. So tip of the week, protect the tip of your brush. Pretty simple, easy to do. But I made that mistake, so I know somebody else had to make that mistake, too. All right, so now we get into the most exciting part of the podcast, and that's where we have the opportunity to interview an artist or a teacher or somebody within the world of miniature painting and manufacturing, etc. We're looking forward to talking to as many different people as possible and kind of picking their brains and learning from them. I will say, please be patient. We are new to the interviewing process, and so it's going to be kind of an evolutionary thing that happens. So I hope People will be patient with us and learn along with us. But with that said, Listening to Paint Try is excited to announce that our first interview is none other than award-winning artist and teacher Shoshi Bauer of Shoshi's Magnificent Miniatures. Shoshi, welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I have a um, background in fine art, a Bachelor of Arts in two-dimensional studio art, and I originally thought I was going to be um, a comic book art artist and then an illustrator and then a watercolorist. And I was actually a professional watercolorist for many years. And um, then, um, you know, I started to, starting to get a little burnout on watercolor and everything. And it's when you're a self-employed artist or an entrepreneur, as I say, um, it's work. It's hard. And you're constantly marketing for yourself. And um, the kind of artwork I was doing was like abstract, really vivid um, watercolors, which nobody was doing. So there was no market. So I had to create my own. And that led to some burnout. But then I, um, my gallery closed. And I Went to go create a new portfolio. I got a little studio in the city um, downtown. And I was going to market my new portfolio to like Chicago, St. Louis, and Indianapolis and surrounding cities from where I'm at. And during that time, because I've been a, a nerd, a geek all my life, um, my Reaper Bones Kickstarter rewards showed up. Which my husband and I, like most people, when that first Kickstarter came out, went nuts on. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, I, th I think I spent like 300 of my art money from my business account on it. And so I was like, well, because I wasn't really feeling painting at that moment with the, with the watercolors. And um, I was like, well, I'll just paint up these 25 orcs and sell them in batches of five for like $25 and I'll make back my money. You know, <laughs> right? No, absolutely. <laughs> I started painting stuff, and I got kind of into some of the other minis that were in the lot, and I throw those up on eBay. And I, I would write the silliest descriptions for them, just so that hopefully gamers would read them and like, because I know gamers have impulse buying issues, and <laughs> so <laughs> you just make it like, like I could speak to my audience, right? Because mm -hmm. I knew who we were, because I am one. And they just started selling really well. And I worked out the margin for these um, Bones minis. And they worked out to be like 60 cents a piece for, my, for me. 
So I was like, even if I sell one for $5 painted, that's so much better margin than my watercolors did. <laughs> Especially then, off the Kickstarter, right? The Kickstarter oh, yeah. prices are so dirt cheap, yeah. So I would paint like, you know, some and I would put the minimum bid as $5. And a lot of times they would sell for like $25.30, way more than I expected. Um, and so... You know, I started, I started show she's magnificent miniatures kind of tongue in cheek as a joke because I wasn't that great a miniature painter. It's like very, you know, it's different to go from 2D to 3D. Imagine, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I was mediocre. Um, but I, you know, I did show she's magnificent minis just so I, I mean, I didn't ever take myself very seriously. And, um, they, they, you know, the, I started kind of getting a little following, which I was pretty happy about. And I realized that, you know, gamers are pretty much only one or two degrees of separation. And I really just need to get to know more people and I could start building my following. I'm a big extrovert, too, so that was not difficult. I was used to marketing myself um, through the watercolors because that was so much harder my market then was like women that want to match their couch. And I just couldn't relate. <laughs> <laughs> but yet the gamers, like I, I totally know what, how, you know, knew all the memes. I knew all the old jokes, you know. <laughs> so, it is interesting that you pointed that out. I do have a, that. One of the things I've noticed now in a trend of miniature art, as I look on, you can look on Putty and Paint and Instagram, and even in some of the groups, like I know we're in Every or Metal together. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of the two-dimensional art that's making its way into like the backgrounds of miniatures. You know, like a lot of people have been posting, you know, you see these amazing miniatures, and then on the the background is two-dimensional painted. Um, I, what is your like? Have you tried that yet, or is that something that interests you, or? I, it's funny because I have a conflicted feelings about it. When I switched from um, 2D to 3, 3D, I mean, over to minis, I really kind of left, left, left watercolor. And so I haven't really done that much 2D since, and I'm pretty rusty. So I've thought about it, and I've kind of tried it a little bit, but I, I'm always, like, so hypercritical of myself. And so it's never like, oh, it doesn't look like how I look, you know, how my watercolors looked when I left watercolor. And so, you know, I've been kind of unforgiving of myself. So I've not really gone there very much. <laughs> I should, though. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's just one of those things that it's always interesting to see. You know, I know um, from people that don't know me and they hear about, you know, painting and such like that. They have this mentality that painting a miniature isn't art. Uh, oh. And it's always interesting to me that how other form like it seems more and more it's all flowing like all different different art forms are flowing together you know as you yeah. see that um, you know and I looked I was in the art store and stuff that I had never seen before all this this texture paint and stuff to add dimensions to painting and yep. like canvas paintings I'm like aha see it goes both ways it's not just that we want to add two D to the three D you know right <laughs> no you're right and I I think part of the reason why I come like, I come from the art world, and um, when I got into miniature painting, it wasn't ever just a little hobby, and so it was always a profession, so I always felt like, you know, I want to, my, my whole goal when I got into miniature painting was, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to raise it to the fine art level if I can, and, um, and I try, you know, I, I, sometimes I just paint, you know, a gaming mini or whatever, I copy a box art or whatever, because that's what the client wants, and I just want to get it done. But, you know, some of the stuff I really try to put some soul and some thought into, you know, and, and try to really push it. Curiosity, how many hours a week do you paint? Um, God, it's changed so much over the years. Um, it's hard to say, because now I also live stream and I teach painting on Twitch. Um, so I'm definitely doing that nine hours a week, so I'm that's for sure I'm painting during that time. And then because of that, and that's kind of, I'm like a little bit more on, and I'm also getting, um, like that's dedicated time that I'm getting stuff done 
that I don't, I honestly don't think I paint as much as I did before I started streaming. You know, mm -hmm. I was, um, and maybe it was because I could get, I can get that instant feedback and gratification from people seeing my work right away. Whereas before I would paint and then a little post and then paint and then a little post and, you know, do it that way. So it's kind of a shame though, because I really think, um, I'm getting, I was getting better engagement and I know I was posting better content back before I was streaming. But I'm also reaching a bigger and younger audience through Twitch. Well, I would definitely say that your your hypercritical side of you comes out there because I, <laughs> I've been able to watch some of the the, the streaming and twitching, uh, and, and your work is beautiful. So oh, though, I don't think it, you know it, it's funny that our, miniature artists are really bad at that, aren't we? We're, right. we're, we're all very hypercritical of how we work. All artists are that way about all their art usually. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think there's I think there's not a week that goes by that I'm like I'm just breaking my brushes. That's what uh, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I have people say that on my, you know, my posts sometimes, and I get upset because really, that's like the worst thing you can say to me is I'm, oh, I'm you know, that's so good. You're, I'm going to break my brushes, and what my whole goal with painting was to get more people to do art, mm -hmm. and I feel like the that I've always said that miniature painting specifically is medicine for a lot of people it's like stress relieving it's you get into this zone it's actually i've known quite a bit of people in the military who have ptsd and they use miniature painting as a way for them to you know help their symptoms and it makes a huge difference so um i hope that less people say that they'll break their brushes and more people get inspired and want to want to improve and get better <laughs> Certainly, no. That, that 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 is awesome. I mean, I'm the same. You know, you it's it's hard when you're coming in. Like my my situation was, I was gone for 25 plus years out of the miniature world and come back in, and the world has totally changed. Oh. I mean, um, as far as it goes, and then you see these uh, works by you, and then people like Richard Gray or Banshee or Roman, and you're like, oh my lord, this, those don't even. You can't even count those as miniature painting. That's art. That's just uh, like it doesn't go past miniature painting. It's art. <laughs> Kiro Kanaev, he does busts, and I, oh. he's just so um, he's like a master. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a chance to talk to him once, and he said that he started painting when he was about ten years old, and he would bring autom or his dad would bring home automotive paints, you know, from the place he worked in Russia. And that that's what he started with. And I started thinking, okay, I cannot compare myself to this guy. He <laughs> has been painting forever. And so that, that kind of remembering that story helps me a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, just knowing that whoever you're trying to compare yourself to, they have had a different journey. And that all you can do is um, is bring yourself into your painting. And when you do that, then no one can compare to you. That makes a lot of sense for sure. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this question. If you, besides just doing commission work and, and some army painting, are, are there any type of miniatures that you're particularly drawn to? Or what if the commission stuff was done, all that uh, stuff was done, what would you pick up to paint? I've been doing a lot more display models um, and busts lately, but that's what's interesting is when you are a commission painter, whatever people see you painting, they will end up hiring you to paint. So I always, always try to paint things that I like. That and makes then, a lot of sense. Yeah. I don't <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I've been doing a lot of display display miniatures. Um, a lot of Kingdom Death, which is a game that I've actually really gotten into. I kind of got into um, the miniature gaming hobby through war machine and then i have gotten out of that because kingdom death is not only expensive but it's it's time consuming and uh, i only have really time for one game <laughs> i get that so but i love their miniatures they're some of the best out there and um i never get tired of, of what they're coming out with now that, that actually is a good segue to this question because the uh, kingdom death miniatures one of the things they're they're known for is that they have a lot of skin. 
Um, and definitely one of the things that anytime your name has been mentioned, um, in any conversation with, uh, local painters or other painters, the first thing that they always say is the, the amazing skin tones that you paint. Um, <laughs> it really, you know, you are an amazing painter overall, but the, the skin tones that you paint are just, they're striking. Um, okay. and so I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Um, if somebody was new to painting skin tones, uh, one of the things that I've noticed when you when you paint skin tones is you start out with a with a green base, mm-hmm. um, or like a deep like kind of a deeper deep olive, olive base. Where does that come from? Could you explain why the green base would would be a good starting point? So, firstly, I start that off for mostly Caucasian skin. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually don't use green for um, for ethnic skin tones. And um, that actually comes from a Renaissance technique. It's kind of a modified version of Verdaccio, which is an Italian um, oil painting technique that you can also do with um, pastels. And it comes from, again, when I used to be a portraiture artist, we would often start with a green ground is what it was called. And you would build up the, the peach and the other colors um, over the gre- green and the green compliment is is not exactly complementary to the peach it's but sort of um so in in a way they kind of act as contrast to each other so but they're also there's something about color and it's always relative to whatever colors next to it so when you put peach and you layer it slowly over green it shifts it over to kind of a neutral color that and you don't see green anymore you kind of see a a grayish peachish color right mm-hmm. and so um that is where my techniques comes from and then i also add what i call my three adjuster colors um which are like the um basically the process colors the cyan magenta and yellow and they all need to be pastel and use very 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 thin amounts of them to adjust um temperature of the different parts of the face because skin is not matte skin is also not opaque skin is actually you know transparent somewhat and so you're able to see undertones and so the verdaccio is a way to mimic the undertones the underpainting and then you lay on the peach colors for the caucasian skin over it and that's kind of how you get realistic caucasian skin you know it's interesting that it starts with the green because uh you always think of skin like what's under skin is blood and so that's where the pink rosy you know what i'm saying so it, it is interesting that you would that the green is the base and so like the places like the nose and the lips and the ears you're gonna give that adjuster color of the of the magenta a little bit of glaze over that area because you like you said more blood vessels are in those parts of the face whereas if you have a man you're going to glaze the cyan over the beard because that part is cool, right? That makes and sense. Then, and then the yellow is places where I always kind of say this is where sunlight is kind of hitting and warms things up, like the brow and the nose. Yeah, it's amazing. All these things, you, don't, you know, they're like you don't necessarily think about when you first start out painting. Like I know two years ago I would have, I would have never had this thought process of, hmm, under the nose is a cool shadow, whereas the top, you know, between the, the yeah. lips and this is a warm shadow. And, uh, but, you know, now those types of things are, are starting to occur to me. <laughs> yeah. So coming from it, from the fine art background, I can bring that to the miniature. And when I teach, I'm kind of basically teaching some of these things that you end up learning when you're doing a 2D piece because you're having to build up um, the volumes and everything from scratch using warm and cool, you know. You said that's for Caucasian skin. Is there a base color that's good to start from ethnic, for ethnic skin? So when I do any ethnic skin, mm-hmm. I will get a um, visual reference. Always, always, always. Because if you think about somebody who has brown skin, there are a million different colors of brown skin. So you want to be consistent across your model and then I always try to work with reference so that I can because I don't have brown skin myself 
And so I don't necessarily know what the undertones of a certain specific shade would be. So I have to look and then I try to color match. So when I tell people, you know, I don't have a recipe specifically for pretty much anything but Caucasian. Um, and even then I tweak it with my adjuster colors, right? Right. Well, with brown skin, you're probably going to be more in the, like, highlights are going to be more in the oranges and, or depends, you know, who, you know, who you're painting. Again, somebody who is uh, just lightly tanned. I just recently had a piece that she had very light brown skin, but it's definitely brown. And it actually had more of a yellow overtone highlight and a little bit of a blue um, undertone. Mm. So, because, like I said, I don't have that. I had to ask a couple people, like, what am I missing on this? Because I kept getting it too, too orange, mm-hmm. and it wasn't right. And so, yeah, so I like visual references, ask people. These are the, <laughs> these are the different things I've done mm-hmm. to try to get things, you know, close to what I'm trying to reach. advice but i you know (laughs) oh oh, no no and it's it's part of the learning process is that there is nothing that's set in stone and that's one of it's one of the beautiful and yet challenging things about painting you know brown skin is that it is it almost feels more diverse than necessarily caucasian skin because i feel so you know there's such a like I, I know i've done a couple of models where i've done like different shades of purple as my base coat to start and work from there yep. to kind of the yellow, yellowest light, you know, kind of a light pinky highlight. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it, you know, it's interesting. It's beautiful. And it's, um, yeah, it definitely, it's always, it, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of things about miniature painting that's, that are a challenge, you know, yeah. that's part of why we do it, you know? One um, of the things I'll do is I'll watch um, beauty tutorials of African-Americans or um, I'll also go look up oil painting by african-american artists the portraitures and because they they have a better idea you know and so i learned from them and take those notes from how they are you know either applying makeup to their skin or applying paint to their canvas as far as painting um brown skins and things like that that is awesome advice i I actually hadn't thought you know Looking at paintings, yes, but not looking at paintings by African American artists. That's actually an awesome suggestion. Thank you mm-hmm. for that. Um, so, kind of a little bit of shifting gears with this, um, and I'm hope I, I, you know, there may this may be no universal answer to, but one of, one of the things I've always found a challenge with painting skin tones and using glazes is that a lot of times those lighter, whiter paints become chalky. Mm-hmm very quickly i didn't know if there was uh if you had kind of a, a secret weapon or i do, uh, I do. should no. i say i don't know if i should say it because that's partly why people come to my class all right well then let's <laughs> say this to find out so she shows she's a secret weapon let's you know you can we'll, we'll advertise yeah. the twitch down at the bottom even more you but, can uh, definitely watch my youtube videos and see because there is there is kind of a a secret weapon that i put in the middle between the the paint layers and that kind of really helps smooth and blend everything out and so most people can figure it out if they if they think about it (laughs) okay well then let me ask you this question kind of separately with that is there uh i know i know that you do have sponsors and i I don't want to get you in trouble with anything of that but uh is there a brand that you find that is less apt to become chalky well, any any paint that has a satin finish is less likely to become chalky. Satin paints tend to dry slower and have longer open time, and so um, those. Will, and so, a lot of times, if you're using a flat paint, I do recommend that you can get a flow, not a flow, a drying retarder. Um, that's not my specific secret weapon, so I'm not giving anything away with that. But that's something that a lot of people do for chalkiness also using the satin paint or a little bit of um, medium some kind of medium glaze medium or airbrush medium to um, slow down the drying time and that's partly why the lighter colors will chalk up is because of that they tend to dry faster because anything with white dries very fast and white has a lot of 
chalk and talc in it often. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That that makes a lot of sense. It's still like in that. Um, so like the, I, I guess my comparison in my head would be from using the paint lines, uh, the Uber mat regular scale 75 more likely to be chalky per se than the satiny fantasy and game lines that they yeah, have. Yeah, and they work really well together because you can use the fantasy and game over the top of the flatter stuff and then there's a lot of complementing colors in each line that, that go really well together. Um, also, I one of my quote-unquote masters that I really learned so much from is Julio Cabos. He's the studio painter for Scale 75. Um, and he he taught us to use a um, watercolor brush pen with um, half water, half drying retarder in it. And a lot of times I'll whip that out, especially on my stream, and I'll be like, okay, it's time to, you know, this also will help blends and keep brush strokes out, you know. That I am going to have to check out. That's, uh, that sounds really cool. I've never used yeah. a watercolor pen, but I've seen them all over the place. Say as an artist that wants to take my painting to the next level, wants to wants it to be com- competition-style display-type pieces, are there specific things with flesh tones that we should look like? I mean, num- number one thing that everybody hears, and it actually drives me a little bit crazy, if you post something online, they say, oh, push contrast. Well, what does, yeah. that, you know, what does that mean per se, you know? When you are painting for a competition, um, when they say push contrast, you want to, you really should consider doing a value study. And um, this again goes back to fine art. There are about 10, well, you, you can do either five or you can do 10 values. You need to have probably like, well, I say I take that back, six, six or 10, I think is how it goes. But You have white to black and then all the different steps of gray in between. And when you, if you can take a photo of your, of your, of your miniature and, uh, you can do a filter over it so that you can see it in black and white. And then you can kind of see, does it look good as a, like a black and white photo with, can I count all the different values, all the different steps? Is there a white, white, like a pure white, white? Is there a black, black in the photo? And, you know, do I have enough midtones, which means that are there enough of the steps in between? And um, you can actually paint your mini um, with two colors and use, you know, use white to give yourself the different values in between. And then paint over that. Um, so this is called, I think it's called Grisale. It's a lot of what people are doing with the Zenithal priming. It's a way for them to reach white, white, and black, black, and then they're able to get all the midtones in between um, by doing this underpainting, right? So that helps a ton. Well, that, this has been awesome. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time mm-hmm. for the interview. Do you, can you tell our potential listeners where they can find you? Um, I'm pretty much on, on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Twitch, Facebook, and YouTube. And my, you can pretty much search me for at Shoshi's Minis, and that's that's where I'm at on all of those. Awesome. And we'll put links when when we launch the show. We'll have links in the show notes to our different pages and such. Great. Uh, Dan and I would like to thank Shoshi Power for being on the show. She is an amazing artist, a wonderful teacher, and an excellent guest. Follow her on Facebook at Shoshi's Magnificent Minis, on Instagram and Twitch at Shoshi's Minis One Word. We'll be back with another full episode in two weeks. We have a fantastic interview with Uncle Adam of Tabletop Minions. In between main episodes, we'll be posting reviews of various products from the mini painting world. They can include paints, brushes, figures, etc. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts from, and if you'd be so kind to leave us a positive review, we'd really appreciate it. In the meantime, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at listeningtopaintry at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at listeningtopaintry. 
Let us know the ways we can improve the show, any topics you'd like us to cover, or just let us know what you're working on. Please go easy on us, though. We are new to the podcasting game, and so we are very open to constructive criticism. We'd like to give a special thanks to Dan Boyd for his expert advice. We promise Dan we'll get better at this. Check him out on his podcast, The 40K Badcast. I don't play any war games anymore, but I still subscribe and enjoy myself. Good laughs and a lot of good conversation. Join us next time as we continue our journey to become better, braver, and happier painters. Listening to Paint Drive with Mike and Dan is a production of LTPDWMD. All rights reserved. No portion of this recording may be used without the express consent of the hosts. The music is Death by a Thousand Questions by Springtime, downloaded from the Free Music Archive on a non-commercial attribution share-alike basis.